0: Almost complete now with the gospel according to Matthew as we've begun our journey through the New Testament. This week brings us to chapter 26. And so we encourage you to read over the 26th chapter. Tonight we'll be studying the 26th chapter, making and giving a commentary on the 26th chapter of Matthew. We encourage you to know the Bible, to read through the Bible with us, to study through the Bible with us. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Paul said to Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. An opportunity is given to you to study the entire Bible, to know the Bible as we go through the Bible presently, Matthew chapter 26. This morning we like to sort of concentrate on the last part of the 26th chapter. Beginning with verse 69, we read, Now Peter Sat without the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what you're saying. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto him, Said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath. I do not know the man. The oath was, you know, I, I declare before God or taking some kind of an oath. I don't know the man. After a while there came unto him those that stood by and they said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them for your speech gives you away. Then he began to curse and to swear saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus which said unto him, Before the cock crows, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and he wept bitterly. We all of us with Peter have experienced The bitter taste of the tears that were shed because of personal failure. There were things that I swore I would never be guilty of doing, but yet I did it. How could I have ever let my Lord down? I weep because of my shame over my weakness. How is it that a man who walked in such close fellowship with Jesus, how is it that he could deny his Lord? How is it that he failed so completely? It should be noted that Jesus warned Peter. He said to Peter, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith fail thee not. And when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. Peter, Satan's desired you. He wants to sift you like wheat. He was warning Peter of the dangers that lay ahead I believe though that this is true of every certain servant of God that Satan is desiring you he would like to sift you like wheat and i believe that the greater the prominence of the ministry that God has given you the greater desire that Satan has to trip you up and to sift you like wheat Jesus said, but I've prayed for you. The Bible tells us that he is praying for us. He is able to save all that come unto God, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. He prayed for Peter that his faith fail thee not. Now, Peter failed in his denial of the Lord, but his faith did not fail. Then Jesus warned Peter, before the rooster ever crows, you will deny me three times. Peter vehemently protested the statement of Jesus declaring, Lord, I would die for you. And yet, we find him in this last verse weeping bitterly because he had denied his Lord the three times. As he heard the rooster crowing, the words of Jesus came back and he realized, I failed the Lord. Jesus had warned Peter that his flesh was weak. He said to Peter, The Spirit indeed is willing, Peter, but your flesh is weak. Why is it that we get the feeling that somehow we are Mr. Super Saint from the planet Krypton, and I'm ready to take Satan on single-handedly, you know? That, that we seem to have that confidence that, you know, though they may fail you, Lord, I won't fail you. You can count on me. Why is it that we think we can do it on our own? There are other people and they're sort of vacillating and weak. And so, Lord, you can give your time and energy to helping them. You don't need to help me. I'll make it on my own and I'll just bring you the trophies of my victories. I must say that The Lord is faithful to warn us before we make our mistakes. I have yet to make a mistake or I have yet to fall into sin but what the Lord did not warn me in advance and I did not Heed the warning. How important it is when the Lord warns us of something, we learn to listen to the warning. There's that little voice that says, no, don't go there, or no, don't do that. And we say, well, I, I, you know, I'll, I can manage. I, you know, I, I'll be strong. And we've had the warnings, but yet we ignore so often that check of the Spirit, that warning of the Spirit, that, that little voice that says, no, I don't think you should. Let's follow Peter on this road to denial and hopefully let us learn from his mistakes. First of all, the first mistake I see of Peter in this chapter was his arguing with the Lord. When Jesus said to his disciples, verse 31, all of you will be offended because of me this night, and then quoted the scriptures, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered abroad. So Jesus had made the statement based upon the scriptures. All of you are going to be offended. It's been predicted. I will smite the shepherd and the sheep will all be scattered abroad. Satan, I mean, Peter started to argue with the Lord. And as he argued with the Lord, he said, Lord, though they may all be offended, no doubt pointing to the other disciples, I will never be offended. Offended. And it was at this point that Jesus predicted Peter's personal failure. He said, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. But he keeps arguing with the Lord. He said, Lord, I would die for you. I would never deny. I would die for you, Lord. It's a mistake to argue with Jesus if ever you find yourself in an argument with him know this for sure you are wrong (laughs) secondly we notice that in his argument with the Lord how he boasts of his commitment he's not sure about the other disciples not sure that the Lord can trust them Lord, you can count on me. You can always count on Peter after all. Didn't you name me Rock? And so Lord, Rocky will stand with you, you know. (laughs) In a sense, he was setting himself above the other disciples. Beware of that boasting In your flesh. Beware of overconfidence. In your flesh. Paul said I know that in me that is in my flesh. There dwelleth no good thing. When Paul was writing to the Philippians. He said we glory in Jesus. And have no confidence in the flesh. Jesus said concerning your flesh and my flesh. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these things come from within. And defile the man. This is what Jesus' evaluation of your flesh is. This is what he knows you are capable of doing in your flesh. That is why you should have no confidence in your flesh. As Paul said, In my flesh there dwelleth no good thing. In my flesh is evil thoughts, adultery, fornication, murder, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. Those are all in my flesh. The wise man wrote, pride cometh before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. And Peter's second mistake was his pride, his boasting in his flesh. Next, we find Peter is sleeping when he should be praying. Jesus has gone to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, and he places them in strategic locations Bringing Peter, James, and John a little closer to him with the command, Watch with me. And then going on from them just a short distance, he began to pray, being in agony. His sweat became, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. And after a time, he came back to his disciples and he found them sleeping. And Jesus said unto Peter, we are told in verse 40, Peter, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. And then Jesus told him the problem. The spirit indeed, Peter, is willing, but the flesh is weak. Couldn't you just pray with me for one hour? I am certain that if we would pray more, we would sin less. We so often find ourselves doing other things than pray, sleeping for one. Or getting involved in some hobby, some interest. But prayer seems to take the back burner so often. It's sort of the afterthought. It's, oh, Well, Lord, I really intended to spend some time with you today, but I'm sort of sleepy tonight, and maybe in the morning we can have a chat together, you know. And it seems like it's the thing that is expendable, we feel, in our lives. Uh, I can sort of survive without it, but you can't. You can't. And part of this path and this road to denial was the lack of prayer. In the next episode, as they come into the garden to arrest Jesus, we find Peter pulling out his sword and beginning to swing. Matthew tells us that he cut off the servant, the ear of the servant of the high priest. Now, in this, Peter did show Courage. Here are a group of soldiers that have come to arrest Peter. I mean, arrest Jesus. And Peter is willing to take them on single-handedly. He's ready now to die for his Lord. I'll defend the Lord. I'll die for him. He had said, Lord, I'll die for you. And now he's proving that. He's ready to die for the Lord. Beginning to fight. I'll fight it out. I'll stand by you, Lord. I'll defend you. But Jesus said, Peter, put away your sword. They that live by the sword perish by the sword. I really don't need your help, Peter. Right now, if I wanted, I could call the Father and he'd send ten legions of angels to get me out of this. You know, to me, it's interesting. A lot of people find it easier to die for the Lord than to live for the Lord. It's interesting that it actually takes more courage to live for Jesus than it does to die for Jesus. As Jesus was now arrested and they took him out of the garden and were taking him to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, we read the words and Peter followed him afar off. Verse 58. That's a great problem that many believers have today. They seek to follow Jesus afar off. They sort of want to walk on the fence. Jesus on one side, the world on the other. And see if they can't just walk that fine line sort of between The world in Jesus. The result of that, of course, is always to have too much of Jesus to be really comfortable in the world, and too much of the world to be comfortable in Jesus. And thus they're miserable because whenever they indulge in the worldly things they can feel the conviction of the holy spirit whenever they come into the church again they feel the conviction of the holy spirit because of what they were doing and so they're living in that misery of doing wrong no I'm doing wrong but going ahead and continuing to do wrong following afar off you know, the secret of the Christian life is just sticking as close to Jesus as you possibly can. This business of a disciple from a distance just doesn't work. It's important that you just stick as close as possible and not try to follow Jesus afar so off because it would seem that Trying to follow afar off oftentimes does lead to denial. In the next scene, Peter is outside of the judgment hall. The soldiers have built a fire, and Peter is standing by the fire warming himself when this little maid comes up and begins her probing questioning of Peter. Aren't you one of his disciples? Satan now has Peter where he wants him. Satan has desired you, Jesus said, and Satan has him right where he wants him. He has him warming himself at the enemy's fire. It's always a dangerous place to be, standing by the enemy's fire. Trying to find warmth in the worldly entertainment, in the worldly scene, in the worldly environment before long someone is going to come up to you and say I thought you were a Christian what are you doing here? And you'll find yourself saying oh well I, 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 I go to church Yeah, I you know they have sort of good music and uh, you know my family it's sort of important I think for their sake that I go with them, you know. and But um, I don't buy into all that stuff, you know. The enemy's fire. When you can find warmth in the things of the world, you're in a dangerous place. When your heart is warmed by the things of the world, you're where Satan wants you. When the little maid, of course, the second time said, surely you are one of his disciples, and, and Peter now took an oath denying the accusation. Then the soldiers picked it up. And they said, your speech gives you away. Probably it was a Galilean accent like someone from the South and out here and talking to you and you say, well, man, your speech gives you, you know, you're a Southerner. You, you tell by the way you talk. And then Peter, if my speech gives me away by the accent, then I'll try to prove by my speech that I'm not a disciple he began to curse, he began to swear in his denial of Jesus. By his speech, he was going to try to convince them. Can you imagine? Having walked with the Lord for three years, having been by his side, having experienced the power of God in his life as he went out commissioned by Jesus to heal the sick, to cleanse the leper. And now here he is, cursing, swearing, as he is denying his Lord before the soldiers. And just while he was swearing, cursing, the rooster that was nearby began to crow. And suddenly, the crowing of the rooster was like a dart through his heart as he remembered the words of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. Another gospel writer tells us that as the rooster crowed, Jesus turned and looked at peter and their eyes met what kind of a look do you think jesus gave to peter was it a peter how could you you dog you suppose that's the kind of look it was Or was it one of those, "Uh uh-huh, I told you so. (laughs) Or maybe it was, you spineless failure. Get lost. I never want to see you again. That's exactly what Satan would like you to think. One strike and you're out. Two strikes and you're out. Three strikes and you're out. We know from subsequent events that the look of Jesus was one of tenderness and compassion that said, Peter, I know your weakness, but I still love you and I forgive you. I believe that in that look of Jesus there was forgiveness, there was tenderness, there was compassion, There was understanding. There was all of that in that look of Jesus to Peter. It was, Peter, don't be discouraged. Don't give up. I love you, Peter. I I knew you were going to do that, but that's all right. I love you. I've been praying for you, Peter. How do you suppose that Jesus is looking at your failure today? So often I think that we see Jesus as sort of angry with us, upset, ready to put us out. When in reality, his look is one of understanding, it's one of compassion, it is one of love. And we find Jesus making special efforts after the resurrection to comfort Peter, to strengthen Peter, and to restore Peter. Can a man who has failed the Lord so completely ever be restored and be used of God again? Again? Can a man like Peter, who curses and swears in the critical moment, the hour of denial, can God ever use that man again? If you have any questions in your mind concerning that, I would suggest that you read the book of Acts. And you find that Jesus, having restored Peter, now places him in a position of prominence. Really better qualified now to serve because he understands his weakness. He's learned that he's not as strong as he thought he was. He's learned that he has to trust in the Lord for the Lord's strength, that he can't do it on his own. And that is a valuable lesson to anyone who is going to serve God. Lest once God begins to bless your ministry and bless your service, you begin to be exalted and think, well, it's because I am so this or I am so that that God is working through me and surely God is using me because I have made a commitment, or I have, I have that strength, or I have those qualities that he's looking for, and you begin to glory in yourself, and that can't be, and so God brings us so often through bitter experiences of failure. He brings us to the place of qualifying us for service, because I am now stronger because I realize I am weak. And thus Paul the Apostle said, when I am weak, then am I strong. In those places of my weakness is the place where I'm strong because I'm not trusting in myself, I'm trusting in the Lord and in the strength of the Lord to help me. Can you see that? The places of greatest weakness in your life if you recognize the weakness, will become the places of your greatest strength. Because recognizing your weakness, you're not going to depend upon yourself there, but you're going to depend upon the Lord. When you're going to face that issue, you're saying, Lord, I can't do it. I'm weak. Lord, you help me, please, Lord. I need your strength. And you'll find that the Lord will strengthen and help you in that area. And thus in the area where you were once weak, you become the strongest. Because you're aware of the weakness and you know you have to rely on Him. As the psalmist then said in our psalm this morning, Let those that trust in Thee never be put to shame. And if you put your trust in the Lord and in His strength, you'll never be put to shame. You'll never taste those bitter tears of failure in that area because your trust now is in the Lord and he will strengthen you and he will help you. Some of you this morning have this past week tasted those bitter tears of failure In the test, you failed. And as David, when he failed so miserably, the joy of the salvation is gone. You even question whether or not you should assemble with the saints of God today because of your sin and your guilt. And Jesus is looking at you now. But not with eyes of condemnation. But compassion and love. Desiring to restore. If you'll just come to him. Wash, cleanse, forgive. Get you started on the path again. You see... The sin really isn't in falling in the mud. It's just wallowing there. As David said, he lifted me up out of the miry clay and set my feet upon the rock, and he established my goings. And he wants to lift you out of that mud, out of that miry clay. He wants to get your feet again on the rock and establish your goings. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your mercy that it endures forever, for your grace that abounds, for the forgiveness of our sins, for the work of restoration, Lord, as you restore us to a place of usefulness and service in spite of our failures. Lord, you are so good. And we pray, Father, that today as we look at this sort of little sketch of Peter's failure, and we see the steps towards that failure, the road that he went down that brought him to the denial. Lord, help us. That we will recognize, Lord, our weakness rather than boasting in our strengths. And thus may we rely upon you, Lord, totally and completely so that as you give to us the victory... We will glory not in our flesh, but we will glory in you, our wonderful Lord, who causes us to triumph. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shall we stand? His wonderful look of love made the teardrops start and broken one my heart. His wonderful look of love. Forgiveness. Compassion. Tenderness. Understanding. And today, He wants to wash you and cleanse you. He wants to start you over. He wants to put your feet back on the rock. He wants to establish you. No longer vacillating. No longer up and down. No longer... One failure to the next. But he wants to establish you. I would encourage you to go back to the prayer room. Receive his love. Receive his forgiveness. Receive his grace and mercy. Start over again. This time, holding tight to his hand. Sticking close by his side. Staying away from the enemy's fires. As far away as possible. Finding his strength. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Chuck Smith. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Chuck's teaching ministry by visiting PastorChuck.org.